Welcome to the Petro Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Trisha Curtis, CEO of Petro Nerds. This show combines upstream and midstream expertise in a Rocky Mountain showdown. All right, folks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Petronos Podcast. It is Monday, October 16th, 2023. This is episode 99 with Joe DeDominic uh, with Anschutz Exploration. Um, he is my guest today. He is the president of Anschutz Exploration. So, uh, Joe, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Trisha. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. We always have a good conversation between you and I, so this should be lively. Yeah, no, it'll be lively and very good, and um, we'll give some a little background on this because uh, Joe is actually my former, one only my second uh, former employer and boss, um, but we tried to do this podcast on Friday, and we had technical difficulties. Um, fortunately or unfortunately, oil prices actually haven't changed too much, although I did um, update the timestamp, so I'm going to timestamp this, give a little context on the macro, which I'm sure you're going to want to comment on, Joe, because we talk about this plenty. Um, but right now, WTI, as of Monday, October 16th, we're sitting at 87.29. Um, Brent is 90.20. Henry Hub is 3.14. Um, copper prices are just about, I mean, 3.58. You know, I, I still think they are not, uh, the, they're really telling us a lot about where the macro is. Um, Dutch TTF, that is a real stinger. We have seen Dutch TTF come up significantly. It is at 16.65. Um, we'll comment on that in a second, but that is partly because of this uh, this Baltic pipeline issue between Finland and Estonia, which uh, had seen some issues, potential sabotage, um, and it got folks it got folks a little nervous, and it has helped push uh, gas prices up. In addition to everything that's going on in Israel, and we're seeing the ten-year yield at just it's four point seven zero eight percent. That thirty-year mortgage, you know, if you look on TV, if you're looking on CNBC right now, you're seeing the thirty-year mortgage at seven point six six percent. But if you or I are to go get a mortgage today, that uh, that's way north of that. We're looking at eight and a half percent at if we even get approved at eight and a half percent um so lots going on there um so last week i you know you and i spoke um earlier in the week and we were talking about all kinds of stuff on the market um i spoke at the denver association for petroleum landmen uh, last thursday um and i do want to comment on that later in the podcast because they had a blm panel on federal land and it was very wyoming focused um so stuff you might want to comment on um but i think before we go much further there's you know, the elephant in the room and the important thing to talk about is that this is the first po podcast I've done since the the war in Israel. And, you know, I've been following it really closely. I have dug in as much as I possibly can. And, um, you know, admittedly, I've dug into every every Israel podcast I can find that's covering this. And I got to say, the, the atrocities are just absolutely horrific of what happened in Israel. Um, and then the the market response has been very, very interesting in terms of how it didn't basically said this was going to compete contained. I think the market response on Friday and today and this week, there's a lot more question marks. Um, Biden is actually thinking of going to visit Israel. Um, and that's because of this contagion impact of whether or not, uh, you know, Hamas obviously committed these atrocities, but now Hezbollah could getting involved. And it's, um, I think it's a little more serious than the oil markets probably starting, you know, realizing. I thought it was interesting before oil prices were really coming back up to 87. Even now, I don't think uh, the risk premium is kind of baked into oil prices. And usually I'm a little more bearish on that. But I, I thought that, um, you know, if you want to comment on that. And I know I did find that number. We were talking about this earlier this week, Joe, that uh, OPEC, uh, OPEC has come out. They kind of reiterated their cuts, Saudi reiterated rated their cuts along with Russia, but they came out with this 116 million barrel a demand figure for 2045. Um, so that's the macro. We're going to talk tons about the Powder River Basin and Anschutz, 
you know, what, what Anschutz exploration is, but, um, you know, however you want to take that, if you want to start talking about Anschutz or if you want to dive into the macro, you know, completely up to you, Joe. Well, we can talk about the macro. I mean, I was looking at, obviously, we, we're, we're, we'll talk about some more, you know, Anschutz AC uh, is mainly an oil oil producer. Uh, we don't we don't produce a lot of gas out of the out of the powder. Um, so we're more focused on oil. And, and I was looking at the looking at the strip and looking at oil prices where they are today versus where they were, you know, the last six months. And they're they're roughly, um, you know, they're a little bit higher than average. But, you know, it's been a, it's been a good year for oil. What's interesting to me is natural gas. When I was looking at uh, the spot versus where the spot was six months ago, it's up 50 percent uh, or 48 percent. But I mean, it's natural gas has gone up a lot um, yep. comparison to where it was. Um, so, again, doesn't maybe impact AEC as much, but that's an interesting uh, move uh, from the two commodities we, we deal with. Yeah, no, I very much agree. And I think people need to be paying attention to it. I think certainly there anything north of three bucks is a much healthier level than very close to two, um, two bucks for gas. And I think that has a, a overwhelmingly healthy you know, sentiment for for all of U.S. shale oil plays and gas plays. Um, but I do think there is a little bit of rise in sympathy. I mean, yes, it's, you know, export volumes and everything, but um, weather, um, increasingly I'm hearing more folks, you know, jump on and talk about the concerns about the grid. I, I talked about this in my in my talk with the Denver Association for Petroleum Landmen, but um, we have shoved a lot of wind and solar into our grid, and you're starting to see more commentators and hedge fund folks come on the market and say that uh, they're, they're calling for higher net gas prices because of, the need the the spikes that they'll see because of the the later in September and October we had uh, some hotter than expected weather particularly in Texas and so the wind that's in the grid the windish didn't blow so that that's part of you know if we continue to see stuff like that they just won't, we won't have the draw on but I really do think that part of this is also I mean when you're seeing Dutch TTF at 16 bucks and change and everybody in Europe was pretty excited that hey you know the weather saved Europe last year they're full of storage and they don't have to worry about anything and then you have you know a war breakout um, in the Middle East and Israel why they don't produce massive you know quantities of nat gas that they're exporting everywhere you know there has been uh in impact to chevron's facility um i they were asked to shut that in i think they're rerouting some of that gas um and so i mean there there is an immediate impact because i mean the government of israel has to shut it down immediately and then you just have the knock-on implications and i think the the big one you know i i'm not i don't want to downplay the atrocities in israel at all because they're, they're absolutely horrific and, and my heart's and uh, prayers go out to those folks but uh, the impact to oil is a big deal because Iran produces well north of three million barrels a day right now. And um, if if there are sanctions are the existing sanctions are actually um, imposed on Iran or we actually enforce them, we could see Iranian barrels come off the market. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's interesting. I think that the question to me is, you know, what's the the U.S. administration you know, doing behind the scenes. I mean, I, I got the feel that they were negotiating with Iran, right? I mean, you know, the hostage for the for the cash, um, you know, a deal that they did and various other things. So how does it all play out? There's a lot probably going on. The Saudis um, reportedly have some extra capacity to, you know, to keep oil in line, even though I know their targets probably a little higher than where oil prices are today. Uh, as, as usual, a complex complex mix of all politics and, and, and other things going on here. So uh, we'll see, we'll see where it goes, but yeah, the war is, does not look, uh, does not look good uh, for the people on the ground. Yeah. And it's hugely complex. And I would say actually before this war and you and I talk a lot 
so w we talk about this about you know whether companies should be hedging or not hedging or where the shale is. I really do think that I mean this adds a layer of geopolitical risk premium that that wasn't there. Um, and you know we are seeing the Biden administration. Obviously, Blinken went over there. Biden made a very some very stern comments against asking, telling Iran not to get involved, very pro-Israeli talk. And then Blinken's been over there. He's now back. He left. He was in Saudi or he's all over the Middle East. Now he's back in Israel. And clearly there's a lot of issues on, you know, human rights issues within Gaza, all kinds of stuff there. But there's also now a, uh, in terms of how Israel responds, but there's now questions in terms of the rest of the wider Middle East, because Saudi was, um, you know, two weeks ago, if we were to do this podcast two weeks ago, we would have been talking about WTI 84 and the trajectory coming down because all these worries about demand. Um, and that's why a big part of, I, I think it is very interesting. We're not seeing oil prices really ratchet up to 90 immediately is because there's so much concern about the economy and demand. Um, but the Saudis were, were thinking at least there was some thought in the market, not that Friday, but afterward that the Saudis were thinking they, you know, if they can get nuclear power from, from if they could get help getting nuclear power to actual power generation, not power to, for bombs, although everybody has to realize in the Middle East, people want nuclear power for lots of different reasons, um, not just electricity. Uh, but they were thinking, hey, you know, and I, the administration is probably thinking, hey, we could ask the Saudis for some more barrels. So it is interesting now that the Saudis are kind of like reiterated that they're not going to do a um, obviously with the war going on, they're not going to do a deal or a rapprochement with Israel right now that's on pause. Um, and then it looks like obviously this thing is up in the air. So I'm sure that the U.S. is doing a lot of backdoor channeling with all these countries um, to just stabilize uh, one relations because we haven't had very good relationships with these countries and two to make sure um, th this doesn't get out of hand. And so we have two aircraft carriers now in the Mediterranean. Um, and I mean, that is a pretty strong show for So that's all up in the air. Um, so that's the background to this uh, podcast on the Powder River Basin with Antus Exploration. Yep. There's one, there's one other one that I don't think it gets the attention and, and maybe it's, it's, it's not going to happen, but a potential shutdown of the of the government, uh, if the Republicans can't get their act together, uh, that could have an impact too. But you know, uh, I was talking to someone one of one of one of the AEC folks this morning. Their view is, well, they always want to settle it because then they make themselves look good. But um, you know, who knows? Some at some point, I think you know the U.S. government's going to get completely jammed up because the sides are so far apart, um, and that that could be a, a big negative um, if if the government shuts down. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's a really good point. So um, I, 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 there is some weight. Uh, it's a little tricky when people are like mapping this out and saying, you know, what's the impact on oil and what's the impact on the economy? It, it is not good in terms of what's going on in Washington. I mean, we don't have a Speaker of the House for the Republicans. Um, they, uh, Kevin McCarthy said he's not going to run again. And the first time ever in history, he's ousted. He said he's not going to run again, but now he's thinking of running again. They tried to put in another guy that didn't work. Um, and nothing can happen. We can't get additional aid to Israel. We can't get additional aid to Ukraine. I mean, there's some serious issues with the logjam and that's just, you know, just getting war funding. But we do have, when government was extended, as you know, October 1st, um, and this is largely for listeners' background, but it was extended October 1st. Kevin McCarthy put this deal together. Ukraine funding was not part of that. Um, but then it's an automatic shutdown basically 45 days later. So that's November 16th, which we're nearing on. And the likelihood of that's high. And so when you see, um, you know, the Treasury yields, part of that is what this is, is that, you know, tr the reason the Fed may not have to raise rates is because 
the yields are doing it for them, right? They're, the treasury yields are up, and that's why that that ten year and that thirty year. Um, so we're trying to incentivize people to buy our debt, and we also this conversation of of multiple wars going on, not having uh, we've drained our our SPR, our Strategic Petroleum Reserve. That's a real. You know, the Biden administration is completely mute on that. And that is a, such a serious issue right now because he drained the piggy bank because he was worried about getting reelected or his his folks getting reelected. And now we have less than 18 days forward cover of demand. And we've got two hot wars going on. And um, the tension, you know, the implications for spillover are massive. And um, there's not and this administration because they've been so anti oil and gas. They have not cultivated strong relationships, especially with the Saudis, not saying. The Saudis, there's all kinds of issues with that. So, but um, you still have to. I mean, these are just relationships you you t- we've had historically in the U.S. and they're not there. So it's really serious. And the the government shutdown is also a big issue because we all, we have you know um, the debt. I mean, we have two trillion dollars in in debt with the deficit, and we have this massive spending, and we also have a trillion dollars. Our interest payments on our debt right now are trillion bucks. So. Um, the Washington problem is big. I mean, I'll be going there uh, in a couple of weeks and I'll let you know how bad it is, but it's, it's never fun. You know, it's never good. It's never like you leave there being like, wow, everything's working awesome. <laughs> you don't come back. You come, don't come back with a big positive uh, uplift, huh? <laughs> no. Uh, and, you know, I usually tell them how it is when I'm over there meeting with folks. So it's a, uh, yeah, I never come back thinking this, this is amazing. Plus uh, if it, it, I tell, tell people this, but if you want to see the commercial real estate crisis um, up front and center, it is in Washington, D.C. is one of the single best places you can go visit to actually see what is going on um, because so many of the office buildings are empty. Half of Georgetown is empty. I mean, it's a really serious, serious story that's a looming kind of crisis on the horizon. Um, but yeah, I know we nerd about on this stuff all the time, Joe and I do. So with that, though, uh, do you want to pivot into the powder or you yeah. want to continue? OK, awesome. Nope, so, that's, that's I, a great idea because there's, there's a lot we can talk about the powder. And I know we need to watch the time, but we don't want to have people on for three hours listening to us yeah. talk. So, yeah, we should focus uh, so, on the power. So um, tell us a little bit. So at Anschutz Exploration, and a lot of folks know who Anschutz is, um, you know, Phil Anschutz. They probably know you as well. But, you know, you are a unique company. Um, you know, I worked with you guys. Um, I was a manager for strategy and analytics for uh, worked under Joe. And um, between 2019 and 2020, it is a very unique company. Um, very, It is very focused on the Powder River Basin, but can you give us a little background and context of, of Anschutz Exploration and your time there? Sure, and I'm going to back up just a little bit for, for folks that may not know Anschutz or maybe they're outside of Denver. So the company's been around really as an upstream company for close to 45 years. Um, Phil's dad actually had a drilling rig company uh, before um, they went to the upstream side and Phil took over the drilling rig company, sold it and focused on the upstream piece. And really, um, it was evolved over the years, uh, more production focused, more exploration focused, depending on the time. But overall, it's really been an exploration company for its its long history and a successful one. Um, found you know numerous fields, billion barrels of oil uh, across uh, the U.S. and then even some international stuff. Um, and that's been uh, really the, the focus of the company um, until just recently, where we we transitioned. Uh, really to a more well-balanced E&P company. So we um, made the uh, change in really 2015. We focused on the Rockies. We like that area. Folks know us. We have a lot of data. We have people in Denver, of course, that know the Rockies, know the plays, know how to operate. We can, what's the word, fungible. You can move equipment and services around the different basins. 
Um, so we felt that was to our advantage rather than going going and playing in the, the Permian or something else uh, where the prices are higher, a lot more competition. We're competing against Midland Midland uh, office companies or base companies. Um, so we've done that. Uh, we currently operate in three states in the Rockies, uh, Wyoming, uh, Powder River Basin is the, the big play there. Uh, we have some operations in the Piance Basin of Colorado and also in the Uinta Basin uh, of Utah. And we produce in all three states, have wells, operate. We have a field office in Vernal, field office in Casper. We're probably going to open a second field office up, up north uh, as our Powder River Basin expands towards Buffalo or Gillette, somewhere up in there. Um, and we've, we've grown really as a production company, uh, but we still have a lot of exploration projects, uh, which we won't focus on today. They're really, really kind of uh, off the beaten path and, and fit with the, the Anschutz model to, to put together big plays, a um, lot of potential, put a big acres position together. We'll take a lot more uh, technical risk and even, even regulatory risk than a lot of companies, given our private nature and our what we call patient capital. So Phil has a lot of patients, been in the business a long patient time, understands I like it. I like that term. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't claim I've, I've coined it, but um, so uh, yeah, it, it works very well for us. Uh, we like the model um, myself and I know a, a number of folks that work here, you know, been in the public um, with public companies, in the public uh, arena, uh, both as officers of, of public companies and all the other stuff. Um, you know, Sarbanes, Oxley's, Oxley came along, all those, all those issues that you deal with from a public side, um, we, we don't have to deal with very many of them, um, you know, obviously. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a real advantage. We can keep things quiet if we want. Um, we're not real public about what we do, go about our business. No, we, 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 <laughs> we take care of things as needed. Um, we try to be, you know, open with companies, one-on-one type of stuff, and we do do a lot of trades and work with a lot of companies. Um, but it's it's got to be a, uh, you know, a fair a fair trade on both sides. So, hopefully that that gives some background. Yeah, no, that that was really that was really great. Um, and there's a ton of stuff we can we can take from there. So, firstly, I just I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast because I just had Tad True, and so we're we're having this nice round, uh, you know, good conversations on the Rockies and the powder. Um, so Tad True with True Companies was we were focused on the midstream and the powder and this Wyoming focus, and he we were recording. He was in Casper, um, and but it's it's really awesome to talk to private companies because you know you guys don't talk a ton publicly, but you are out there. You you speak at Intercom. You know when I was with you guys, you know we took tons of meetings. We ha- we had a lot of you know um, a lot of meetings with engineers, a lot of nerd meetings, um, and you know talking about the rock, talking about you know actual completions, and um, you know you guys let me do that, but that was also you're able to do stuff as a private company that a lot of public companies aren't. Um, and so while, while you guys aren't completely public in how you do stuff, you do, you talk, you know, pretty frequently um, at public events and similar to public companies. So, you know, you guys are out there and you're speaking, you're, you know, you're giving your voice, but obviously you you are concentrated in the powder. And part of that speaking out is, is talking about the powder because um, as we've talked about, and as I tell folks, it's, it's very geologically complex. Um, so makes it a super fun play, but there's a lot, there's just a lot to unpack being a powder river operator and like having this as your core baby. Well, I think, I think a couple things on that and you've heard me say it, um, geologically complex is the complex statement. Maybe, <laughs> um, it has some, uh, uniqueness to it, but it, it doesn't also, it, in other cases, it doesn't, I mean, if, 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 right. 
you really study the geology. And one of the things we did when we restructured back in 2015 uh, is we, we focused initially uh, from a company standpoint on building out the, the best geologic staff we could. And it, and, and, and it is some of the best geologic staff I've ever had in my career uh, with the people I've worked with. At one point, um, I think before you joined us, we were actually half, 50% of the company was geologists. Not yeah, all of them were doing geology. Do you have a yeah, uh, I mean, so we, we use that to our advantage to, to you know, study the place, study the rocks, extend those, not just from a basin perspective or an asset basin, but a broader, uh, which we then leverage that, that, that learnings to, to other areas and allowed us to then, when we operate in an area, we, we, we learn something from that. Well, we can, we can transfer that to, an, to another area. And that's, that's one of the advantages to the Rockies, again, given it's depositional history of how it evolved when the rocks were laid down, all those type of things. You can, you can use that information. Um, going to the powder specifically, um, the way, the way I think people should, well, let me back up. There's, there's a couple parts here. A lot of commentary around the basin. It's complex. It's remote. It's, you know, second tier or whatever type of stuff. It's not just around the geology. It's around the takeaway, it's around the service. It's around everyone believes you know the costs are through the roof of the powder. How does how, how does anyone even make any money in the powder? You got a bunch of a bunch of privates and PE back companies. You know they don't do anything. They drill a couple wells a year and claim they have the best rock. I mean all this it really is, it's really kind of cloudy. Maybe is the way to say it. And it takes a lot of time and effort to dig into it. Fortunately, we've been we've been focused on it since really 2014. Uh, again, it's that patience piece, um, and it built our position. And, and I've, I've stubbed our toes a little bit. The story, and I don't know if you recall this, but the very first horizontal well we drilled in the powder was a Parkman well up in Count, Campbell County. It was the best water well we've ever drilled. Okay, we didn't make yeah. any oil whatsoever. Um, made, like that too. Yeah, there is. I think it made you know over two thousand barrels of water a day. Um, we were trying to figure out, could we use that water for completions, but we ended up plugging the well. So that was our start. Okay. And, and again, it was the learning it was the complexity of that geology. Right. So the way to think about the geology, if we go back to that question is, um, what you have in, in how the rocks were laid down the way, the way we describe it here, uh, within our shop is you have the sandstones, right? So you got the teapot, Sussex, the Parkman, Turner, Frontier, and the Muddy, just as the major ones that produce, those are those are limited. They are not spread across the entire basin. And then there's areas within those that are higher quality. And if you look, you know, where the the old original development of those sandstones was with vertical wells in the in the 70s, 80s, um, you know, those those were even in some areas we're dealing with today. There's some partial depletion from the original wells that were drilled vertically, right? And so there's there's going to be sweet spots. It's going to be areas that look very good. Um, and you just have to know that. And I'll come back to some economics on that if you want to talk about it further. And then the other ones are the resource plays or the or the source rocks. And that being the Niobrara uh, with a couple different benches that pay in there. And then the Maori, which is, you know, a little bit earlier because it's deeper and gassier. It hasn't hasn't seen the number of wells, but um, it's definitely picking up, picking up the pace of development between us and EUG. Um, and so, you're gonna, I think, see those much broader spread over bigger areas. Uh, we know from our uh, Niobrara results that the distribution between P10 and P90 is fairly tight. Um, 
you know, despite our ongoing completions, testing and different landing zones and different parts of, of our, of our acreage, you know, it's not like we're all drilling in one tight area to get tight results. We're doing different things over broader areas and the results of the Niobrara and it's all public data um, show that the results are actually, you know, I, and I can't remember off the top of my head, or, you know, 1.8 X from P10 to P90. So it's not, it's not like you're getting 10 times difference from the high to lows. Uh, the range is there. And from there you, you work the cost piece and, and we, we, we really like the returns of the powder and it works for us as a, as a private um, in our low, low, low cost structure, both capital and operating costs. Um, so, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be where we are. We have a nice position, you know, we're largest acreage holder, most active operator in the base and all those things. And I believe at this point from the data we've seen, we're the lowest cost operator in the Powder River Basin. So, um, we, we like our position. Yeah. So, well, you've said a lot there, which is fantastic. Um, and I, I want to, I want to unpack a few, a couple things. Um, and I do want to get into the geology a little bit more. Um, and, and I, I mentioned this on the previous podcast with Tad True, we were talking about that geological, geological complexity, which I don't know if I coined, but I certainly use the phrase a lot in a lot of meetings. You heard me, um, especially starting out in geo meetings, but the, um, I like the phrase adding needing patient capital to deal with the geological complexity of the powder. And, you know, I could write a dissertation, a PhD thesis on, you know, how the market does or doesn't understand the powder and why all these complexities actually matter. Um, and that's because it is, uh, you know, I had Harold Hamm on the podcast. I believe you listened to that as well. And, um, you know, he was talking about costs being high and, you know, needing to drive those down, et cetera. But it is really an, a very, very interesting play to me. And actually, if you just think about this, um, and you don't have to comment on this directly, but I think it is fascinating to think about, you know, these very, uh, you know, generational wealth, uh, private companies, uh, you know, multi-generations of oil and gas. But think about it. Hank True is an upstream guy in the powder. I mean, Tad True is on the midstream, but his father, Hank True, they have they have upstream in, in Wyoming. Um, and they've obviously seen through the upturns and the downturns. They've drilled some, you know, you that's public as well. You can look at the wells that they, they've drilled. But I mean, so, and you've got Phil Anschutz in the powder, and now you've got Harold Hamm, who has, you know, went, bought Samson and and then bought Chesapeake's assets and uh, and now has taken the company, you know, has taken the company private. And it's not, you know, Harold Hamm is a geologist, and I believe you're a ge geologist as well, Joe. Um, so it's interesting, you know, these companies actually being run by geologists. And then, you know, they, uh, and every geologist loves the powder because it's, it's hard. Um, and it, but it's also fascinating to me that Harold knows the Bakken really well, as you do. Um, and you, the Bakken, in many respects, is, is easy. I mean, I love it. I think it's just phenomenal rock. I think it has a lot more to give, but there's a lot of ways to look at the powder in terms of look at these operators, right? You have these, uh, you have big private capital, tons of money that are definitely seeing through, you know, longer term lens of like development mode. And that patient capital has a lot to do with that. And then, you know, yeah, I asked Tad about crises and dealing with COVID and he gave a pretty remarkable story in terms of walking us through that. Obviously I was with you for part of that. So I know what that was like and it wasn't very fun. Um, so not fun at all, but it is interesting to see how, you know, private companies went through this crisis um, and, you know, the powder doesn't look the same as it did when I, you know, in 2019 and 2020 um, when I, when I left, because, you know, you don't have, you know, 
Impact and Kimmeridge and some of these private equity guys are still there, but the love for private equity and sort of when we talk about, you know, private, you guys are private, private, right? You know how I talk about it versus, you know, private equity and that's an NGP backed or, you know, name the private equity firm that's backed with companies. And we had so much of that in the big shale boom craziness that, that did come into the powder pre sort of 2018, you know, you had a lot of private equity that came into the powder. I would say with folks that didn't have a deep understanding of Wyoming, of the old school oil plays of the, of the teapot Turner and Sussex, all these, you know, conventional sandstones, and then thinking about the NIO differently. I mean, people didn't even realize the Turner was a conventional sandstone that sat below the NIO and you had to drill deeper. I mean, there was all this stuff. So can you just talk to us a little bit about one, you know, your thought, if you have any thoughts on those three big uh, private, you know, guys with money and also just kind of the staying powder of the pow powder and how it's sort of all with the private equity and now where it's at now. And I know that you got, you have a, you obviously have low, think the cost structure is different and you can survive in a much uh, lower oil price environment than say what Harold Hamcon in the eighties, but also just talk about sort of where you guys are at and, and that, you know, I, I was with you on the COVID side, but if you want to talk about that and sort of how you guys saw that crisis and managed through it, um, it, it, it has not been an easy ride and it's certainly been a wild one. Yeah. So let's, let's do a couple things or a couple questions there. Let's, let's start with the, the COVID piece. Uh, again, you were with us. Um, it was an extremely, that's what I would call challenging, <laughs> not the and complex. Um, but um, yeah, it was it was, you know, now we look back on it and go, oh yeah, it wasn't that bad or or it was bad, whatever. Um, but at the time, you're in the middle of it, you didn't know how long it was going to last, how how deep it was going to run, what it was going to cause for economies, was it going to wipe out five years of the economy or or what, right? And so uh, the reaction and decisions internally were, we need to preserve capital. Uh, we had several rigs running um, at the time. We had three, we went to two, then we went to one and we stretched it as long as we could. And we're like, you know, what if this lasts three years or four years or five years? And and so we actually uh, parked that rig and and paid standby on it. Uh, we actually parked it in May of, May of 20. Uh, we picked it back up in February of 21. Uh, so it wasn't even parked, it wasn't even parked a year. Um, and when we started building back up from there, the other thing we did, uh, during the pandemic, we made, we made use of that time. Now I will tell you production wise, uh, again, being private, we shut in a hundred percent of our operated wells for eight months. And some of those were brand new Turner wells. I think there was a dozen, if I remember correctly, um, that we had just brought online in March and April, right when the pandemic remember, was hitting. Remember, we were working on those wells, yes. <laughs> it was horrible, it was horrible, okay? Uh, we did, We I, I will say to everyone here, we, we did see some formation damage. The wells did not come back on as long. We we should have produced them longer, even though oil went negative and was $20 and we were pretty much, you know, giving it away. Uh, but but in the long run, we did, we did, we did some, we, we did some sensitivities, ran some numbers and we said, okay, we shut them in and we'll get it comes back at 60, we'll get paid at 60. We ran the numbers and it made more sense economically. And we could do that uh, being private. If you're public, you couldn't do that. We had no, we had no hedges. So uh, we're on hedge as a company, always have been generally. Uh, so, so that was the right decision from us in hindsight. The dropping of the rig, like I said, in May, we picked it up in 21 um, and we built back from there to where we are today with, with the five rigs. Um, we, we went back and looked and said, well, rather than paying that standby uh, monthly to keep that rig, we would have kept one rig or two rigs and, and duck the wells, right? Uh, but 
the cost of those wells drilling wise, that was the ultimate low point for drilling. We've never drilled wells for lower cost than that, but we drilled enough, you know, going into that, into that period before we stopped. And those wells we brought on in 21 are the highest IRR rate of return wells that we've ever drilled in the basin. They were the lowest cost. They came out as some of the best wells we've ever drilled. Uh, they're well located geologically, uh, fortunately. And 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 you know when we brought them online in early 21 and, and into you know later 21, that was the best thing to do as the as the business ramped up. We 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 took a lot of time. I think we took six months both internally and talking to some some various outsiders um, about where we wanted to go as a company. And we re, we revised our entire company strategy. Again, we were, we were more like a private equity company almost at that point where we were trying to build enough production and drill enough good wells and then look for, look, look for an exit. Um, we said, that's not gonna happen. The market in the oil and gas industry has changed. People aren't paying multiples on on you know un, undeveloped and unproven sticks and we're going to develop it ourselves because we like to return on that investment to drill our own wells and what we what we receive out of those wells so we've we've revised and 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 reworked the entire company um and grown with a focus on the development side we're currently at forty thousand barrels of oil equivalent a day net uh and that's you know 60 5% oil roughly right now. And there's some liquids obviously in there too. And, and, you know, we're, we're on a path right now. We're running several frack spreads, multiple rigs, like we talked about, we'll be 50,000 barrels a day equivalent um, by Q2 next year. And our average for next year, we're, you know, we're still working through the details, but we'll be 50,000 plus next year. And depending on exit is what we end up doing for the year. Uh, but we've really grown the company because when we came in, for the pandemic, we were 10, 12,000 barrels a day in, in 2020. Um, so, um, so a little bit about the pandemic, a little bit kind of how we went through yeah. it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really good color. appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so, 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 you know, you, you give fantastic color, um, you know, and I think it's obviously different, uh, different perspectives from different companies of where you're, how you're sitting and how you view it. Do you, I mean, with that, you, you mentioned being more of like a private equity thinking and, you know, thinking about an exit and obviously that's evolved. And I think, um, you know, just from your, you know, you don't have to be speaking on behalf of engines, but you know, when you're looking at the powder and the evolution of it and you've been sitting in it and, and working in it and, and I was with you for part of that, but do you see the evolution where, you know, you're obviously not seeing the same level of activity of those private equity backed companies pre COVID the same, they have not ramped back up their activity. I mean, it is like you guys are, are kind of driving, you know, um, the, the, the cart right now. And then you have the companies like you still have Oxy, but you've got continental and you still got, you got some bigger players in there that are sort of moving and it's now a unique, a more unique space. And it seems to me that that's the, you know, and this will help us get into the conversation a little bit about uh, what the powder has and doesn't have in terms of services and takeaway capacity and everything. But how do you see that evolution looking from, you know, the small private equity guys going crazy to the bigger guys like you, 
and and continental and sort of now the staying power power with you know regardless of price and you know i'm I, people know i'm a little bit critical i am critical of the industry i mean the industry could have done a much better job particularly upstream during covid um to not lose their minds like they did um because uh, most folks had a lot more years on myself than and a lot of younger folks in the industry that have been through crises before and to, to either you lay your head on the pillow at night and you say i'm i'm producing oil and gas am i going to be producing oil and gas two years from now if the answer is yes then you know you kind of gotta you know you gotta like put yourself together and move through it and i think this industry um did, lost their minds a bit, and um, we we saw we saw how companies uh, capitalized on that, where they drilled through it, and they were able to capitalize those very very low costs, not necessarily in the powder, but particularly in the Permian Basin, and really run through it. And then we really saw the public's very very slow to to come up with this because of ESG and everything and COVID and craziness. Um, and then it was harder, I think, in places like the powder where y- you had all the powder issues and then you have COVID and then and it's sort of this morphing through it. Um, but, and sorry, that's, I, that was a bit of a rant, but curious as how you think that, that, um, you know, the evolution pre COVID to now in terms of the private equity guys, folks like yourselves, and now where the play is at and the ability to sort of run this course, regardless of, you know, high oil prices. Yeah. So I, I kind of break the powder into maybe three, three different buckets, if you will, of, of operators. You got the, the private equities who, again, were, like you mentioned, very active or fairly active um, pre-pandemic, drilling wells across their blocks, trying to prove up different zones and show they had the best dial well or whatever they're drilling on their block to hopefully then flip it. Um, if you had that group, you have what I kind of call the the, the publics uh, outside of EOG, you know, Devon, uh, Oxy, uh, it was Chesapeake at the time, and then it was Continental for a little bit, and he, and 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 Ballard's another one that kind of fits into this. Right. You know, drilling, drilling, um, really more appraisal wells or maybe small, small, small. You know, one or two DSU developments. They're still doing those things. They're testing. I know we we talked to most of these companies. They're still, you know, Devin's doing the three mile NIOs, trying to prove that up. You know, Continental right now is dr- drilling these multi-formation uh, DSUs. They're doing, you know, Sussex, Frontier, NIO, Maori, right? And Oxy's doing one we're, we're, we're in where they're doing NIO, Turner, Maori, I think is the four, the three that formation. So they're they're really trying to understand uh, a pray, a way I would say it, delineate and appraise their acreage. And then I, hopefully they're gonna get to a point or I, just, I know they'll get to a point where then they'll say, okay, we really like this area. We're gonna put the infrastructure in and develop. We came out of it, and EOG had set the mark, really, if you go back and look at what EOG did. They, they invested a lot in their infrastructure, actually, during, even during the pandemic, yep. right? They built their corridors. They laid their pipeline. They have water disposal, water sources. Definitely you know. captured a lot of low cost right there, too, with just they services did. and everything. They did, and it was a good year to do it. Um, and so, um, you know, they were leading the pack. We saw that we when we've been you know myself and a lot of my team have worked in other basins. We we know what what mature shale basins look like. You know we we were in the Bakken early, we were in Eagleford early of some of my teams, and so we 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 said we we we've been through this before. What, what do we what do we learn? How do we get better? How do we accelerate this? 
Um, and we put the numbers together and that's what we did when we came out of the pandemic is we said, we're gonna, we're gonna develop our assets. We're not gonna sit around and wait and wait and wait, hoping for you know, someone to show up to say, yeah, I'll buy your assets. That's, that's, that's not where we are. We wanna be proactive, we wanna get after it. And we, we liked our assets. So we started in, in Converse County and we did a, we did a 20 well cube um, you know, Nio and Turner's, um, right from the start, after we got out at 21, we already laid out and then we drilled, you know, across that entire, you know, east to west. And I think there's 40, 48 wells or something. Don't quote me on that. I have to go back and look at the numbers, but, you know, a huge rectangle, th essentially three different cubes across there. Um, and since then, we've been developing multiple, uh, you know, co-development DSUs or cubes, which are more multiple DSUs. Uh, across our you know, southern position while we delineate our acreage to the north. And, you know, we've laid laid infrastructure. We've worked with, we work with the true companies and others to get, you know, everything on pipe, not just oil and gas, but we even have water on pipe. At this point, we're 97% on our water uh, in Converse is on pipe and, and recycled. Um, so it's a, it's a real hot, real high numbers. And it's, it's a maturity of the asset of our of our decision to move our assets forward into what we call full development mode is not just going around drilling a few pads trying to figure out how you get water or how you get a pipeline to it. All these companies should know an area that they they feel comfortable investing in. I don't know if they're trying to optimize for the last dollar or or they're waiting for a better day. But um, we're real happy with our returns. I mean. Some of our stuff in, 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 you know, look back, it's $35, you know, break evens. Uh, I couldn't have told you that going into it, but given the infrastructure we've put in and, and the results of the well, I can tell you that's, that's the range we're in on some of our stuff. Yeah. And I think, I mean, those are, that, that's great clarification. And I do think that's why it's so important. Uh, you have to have a, you have to be thinking about this by, from a geologic standpoint and from a business standpoint and from the nuances I think of being, you know, these how the how the play has evolved and developed and having a lot of tiny p backed entities that had four you know four four, t four guys engineers and we're going to start an ENP company and we're going to drill two wells we're going to flip this so when you have a lot of those that that has been problematic for the powder's evolution because that's not staying power right that's not like hey we have a crisis and we're going to drill through it that's oh my gosh what do we do in a crisis um so and and the models just weren't that and so i think a lot of private equity entities you know obviously they did they had to revamp their entire business model of we're not going to sell this do we smash code these guys what do we do and i still think that is you know we're we're still not seeing great clarity across the rockies through a lot of you know the private equity guys and partly that's because i i i you know i'm i don't think they did their due diligence and and really you know thinking about how uh under different risk scenarios, how they invest and move through move through the business, um, and you guys that that private capital and that staying power, I think, is really critical in a play like the Powder River Basin because you have to. The way you're explaining this is really good in terms of you know you have to be able to tinker with this play. You have to. Um, you're going to have some good wells. You're going to have some bad wells. That's expensive, and you're going to have to. And then you have to develop this stuff out. If you actually want to grow your production base, you're going to have to get comfortable with some of that geologic risk. And then part of it is that, you know, and we saw this, but I think, I mean, I ripped through every single Turner well in the powder and, you know, there's some great Turner wells. There are, it's, there's some really bad Turner wells. Um, and clearly that is, uh, there is far more geologic complexity within the Turner than a lot of folks thought in the beginning, thinking it was far more, um, you know, homogeneous or it was 
far more similar than dissimilar. And I think obviously drainage, you know, you name it, there's a million different things going on, but a lot of that was, uh, you know, spacing matters. I think there was tight, too tight a spacing. And then where, what's the optimal spacing? A lot of it was about oil prices and costs. And when you get that cost down to a level and you have the infrastructure, you get the cost to a reasonable, you know, space versus, and then oil prices are somewhat, somewhat, you know, steady, you get to a space where you can really do this. And, you know, new entrants and, and Harold Ham echoed this of, Hey, we need $80 oil or something for break even. He's also newer in the play. So as their cost structure gets lowered and they get more comfortable with this, I feel like their the ability to sort of take on a little bit of the more risk. And I'm not saying you're drilling a dry hole. I'm just saying, you know, one of those Turner wells is going to underperform the other two in, in, you know, when you do these three wells. And if your costs are low enough, uh, they're still making money. And I think that's where people have to like, this is that, you know, multiple tiered acreage. I'm a big fan of non-tier one acreage and, and private companies do typically do takes time, but do a good job de-risking this. And I think it just, it's, um, the, the powder sometimes harder for folks to look at because they see that one Turner well and the three that's not good. And what is this? Um, but I think that cost structure and those lowering the costs and being able to bring your, your break evens down is a huge component of this. Yeah, no, the, all the, all those play into it. So a couple of things you touched on, I'd like to follow up on. So cost, obviously, um, I've said it many times to my team. It's it's the one thing you can control, right? You can control your cost. You control where you spend your money or invest your money. What which means what wells you drill and the timing when you drill them. Um, you can't control oil prices. So the macro piece, yeah, it's kind of nice to know, but uh, you know you can hedge and, and maybe do some of those things. But what can you control about what 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 decisions you make um, day to day uh, and and as a team or as a company all those decisions add up, right? It's the power of compounding. If you make good decisions, it's even more impactful. So right. we've, 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 you know, our ops team has done and our supply chain team done an amazing job on the cost piece. There are plenty of services, uh, you know, and, and if you run a, you run a, a big program or a sizable program like we are, people want to work for you because they know that we're going to continue. We're not the private equity. We're going to drill three or six wells and then we're going to wait a year. Well, no one's going to come up and, and frack three or six wells, because then what are they going to do for the other uh, 11 months of the year, right? Um, so, you know, get a continuous program, uh, put in the infrastructure. Again, we put in a lot of water infrastructure. We bought some surface lands. We have our own disposal wells. We have our own water wells. We have our own water ponds. We continue to spend, you know, multiples of, of tens of millions on infrastructure every year. But the, the return on that, then the payoff on those is is at our pace. Okay, you got you to develop it. But it's, it's, you know, a, a year or so, a year plus or minus. Well, that's a good investment for us because then it continues to pay dividends and reduce cost down the road. Or maybe it has some some retained value that we can use with other operators or, or sell to someone else down the road. So we look at it as are we building the value of that asset, increasing the value of the asset that we have put that that we have that we have put together and, and purchase, right? We purchase land, we bought leases, all those things. Um, and, and we, and we, we monitor that. We look at that. We look at that with Phil. Uh, and are we, are we getting a good return on our investment and our asset values going up? This goes to the, the complexity question you had on the geology. So let's say, let's talk about the Turner for a second. We drilled from the east to the west, like I told you, across the middle of our block in Commerce County and really one giant cube, if you will, but we broke it up in a couple different cubes. And we started on the east and had just unbelievable results, some of the best probably in the United States, right? Well, we kept drilling 
and you can go, anyone can go plot this, this data is out there and you go from a well that's, you know, going to make 2 million plus barrels to the last two wells we drilled made only water. Okay. Yep. And yep. you know, wow, that, that looks horrible if someone just came in and looked at it. But if you look at those in, 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 in total, just put the Turner wells together, what we invested. And again, the Turner's we've optimized the completions. Those are not very big jobs. The rock's pretty good. Right. And so, I mean, we were doing those wells for 5.8 million early days. And I think we're, you know, six, eight or, you know, at this point now, and they're small jobs, those wells make a lot of oil early on. And you put that all together, even though we've lost some capital on those wells that only made water, the whole project was, a was you know, I can't tell you the rate of return, but it's extremely high. Okay. <laughs> extremely high. And, and, and that helps the whole company proceed and do other things. So you're not going to hit hundred percent of the, of the pitches that come your way. And so you have to look at it statistically. Um, and, and, you know, again, the Niobrara and I believe the Maori is going to be the same way. The results won't be as broad, um, but the Sandstones, you're going to have a broader outcome, but overall is your program returning what, what you, your investment needs to be, or is it greater than your investment needs to be? No, that, that's a uh, great answer um, and really good color. Um, I think listeners will appreciate that. So it had me thinking, and there's a couple things I know we're, we're, uh, we're, we're going to be pushing the hour mark, but there's definitely a few things I want to touch on. Um, and that's because when you're, you're articulating this uh, really well as a, the staying, needing to have that staying power, power. And um, because I, I don't work for an ENP, I can say clearly, you know, the Turner, the evolution of it is, is, is fantastic in terms of, I think how companies approached it and, you know, how public companies approached how private, you know, it was that it was like, Hey, the teapots are drilled up the, the sand, you know, the, uh, park bins and everything, which were, some of these were just phenomenal wells. You drill the hole, it's a thousand barrels a day done. And then those got drilled up. And then, so the natural thing was like, Hey, and the, the NIO was where everybody, you know, and this is pre before he's even with you guys. And I was thinking of starting my own oil company. I mean, the NIO was what everybody is thinking, right? This is the hot, sexy new play. This is the unconventional. We're going to get a ton out of this. We can downspace the crap out of this, but it was hard. So people were still going, they were like, no, wait, we'll just go after the next easy thing, which should be the Turner because that's another conventional sandstone. And they didn't understand it as well. And so when they got, you know, folks got into it and they started having mixed well results, but they didn't have those costs down, things got a little lopsided, I think. And you heard that between, you heard that some public earnings calls, you know, there was a lot of, uh, with Chesapeake and Devin who talked about it. And there was, then you can look at the decline rates and you can just look at the well performance. And I think it's that staying power is so important because I've been talking to lots of folks on the podcast and lots of folks in the industry and lots of folks through work and business and, and, and petroners in my business on ESG and the investor pressure and the ability to access capital. And, you know, you have to be able to have that staying power to, you have to drill a few wells. A few wells can be 30 million bucks. It's a lot of money. And so you have to be able to drill that and get those results to understand it. And the reason I point out the Turner is because I think a lot of folks in the beginning did think, okay, big completion, put a big completion on it. And no, if, if you're getting mixed results and, you know, geology has a lot to do with it in terms of understanding it. But if you're getting mixed results, maybe too much water and that mixed results in and of itself is, 
you know, reduce the completion costs, reduce the size of this maybe, and, you know, get to a, a, a space in which the costs make sense and the returns make sense. And so that's, you know, sometimes I think from a geologic and completion standpoint, that's hard for teams to do of thinking, oh, we can get the most out of this. But then you start factoring spacing and drainage and all these things. And the Turner is one of those that it's like, no, it makes a lot of sense to actually minimize the minimize those costs, um, try to get that repeatability and move forward. And that's also, you know, that piece went out in COVID, no one was articulating that. So it missed sort of the market period. But if you can imagine pre-COVID, a, a company going on to the public market and being like, yeah, you know, this formation is okay. Um, we just have to reduce the completion costs. And we're just not going to talk about this very much because no one's going to care about it too much, but the returns are going to be great. Like nobody did that. And and actually it's probably where public companies need to get back now. And I know EOG is not drilling as many turners and they're they drilling more Nios and Maoris. Um, but, and you don't hear public companies talk nearly as much about the rock um but it's it is why in the beginning you know folks were investing in these companies because they were talking about what we have what we have to offer and i just think the powder is kind of a really interesting case in microcosm of that of that story of how you um how you go through this and how you have to have this this staying power and have to you think through these problems and you get to a place on the other side to where the money makes sense and you're getting the returns but if the private equity money which is threatened by, you know, ESG and the, and the whole anti-oil and gas movement, you know, we, there's some risks to that. Um, obviously you guys are kind of outside of that, but I, I, you may want to comment on any of that I just said, but I, I really do want to ask you about the world of uh, access to capital and ESG and, and you guys aren't in that world, but how you're seeing that and how you're thinking about it, how, how critical and, and important it is to the evolution of, you know, the privates and, you know, the evolution of acquisition environment and the next phase of oil plays. I mean, you and I talk about it offline, but I think it'd be great for listeners to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, we're we're focused on it. I'm probably not to the extent, well, I know not to the extent that, you know, the publics are or maybe some of the private equity. Um, it's, it's, you know, obviously we know, we all know this, right? Everyone's listening to this. It's a, it's a real thing, right? The governments are putting new regulations in hourly, I think, um, you know, not daily, hourly, um, that, that we're, you know, we have to stay on top of, we have to follow, we want to follow, right? Um, you know, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're actually have stood up an ESG group. Um, you know, we're, we just hired an air quality specialist who's going to join us shortly to handle with all, all the, you know, the uh, emission monitoring. And we've had a lot of conversations around, you know, do we go to continuous monitoring? We're actually having a flyover of our assets uh, forthcoming soon. And I mean, you know, so we are, we are, um, addressing and staying on top of all those things as the, as the market and the, and the, and the business and the regulations and the governments, the politicians and all the environmentalists, uh, you know, direct things. Um, we, we want to, we want to stay on top of that. If, if we look at potentially some, some option in the future. Let's say there's let's say there's a company we want to merge with, or someone wants to to buy us out for some reason that makes sense for us. Um, then you know if we have a very clean uh, ESG uh, status, then it's favorable. I mean, you saw Chevron's PDC uh, acquisition. Uh, one of their footnotes or one of their bullet points was, well, this is going to make them cleaner. I don't know how they phrased it, right? But but essentially, PDC had a a, a very you know good ESG uh, record and and how they monitor their stuff being in Colorado and everything else. We, like I said, we operate in Colorado. Uh, we'll probably take some of those because of their regulations as a state are even greater than, 
you know, some of the Fed, the Fed pieces, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take those learnings and those, those operations to, to our other assets. Um, I think that's a, that's a, you know, a big piece that, that we all have to be aware of and, and incorporate. Um, does it impact us? Fortunately, no, from a capital standpoint, um, we are watching the insurance piece very closely. Um, we're actually going to just ask about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're watching that very closely. Um, we actually, I can, I think I can speak to this last week. We had our meeting with our uh, insurance broker. Uh, we're getting ready you know, go out for our renewal and all that stuff. And they, their commentary was, well, there's actually, you know, the last couple of years, a number of, of long-term, um, um, companies backed out, right. Of, of insuring oil and gas. Well, they told us there's actually some new ones moving into the space to fill in that hole. I always have said, well, you know, capital, if there's if an opportunity to make money, people tend to direct capital where they can make money if it makes sense for them. And so there might be there might be some and I don't know this firsthand. I've heard this from someone else who's working for us. But there's there's some coming in into the industry and for the insurance piece. We'll find out we're going to go for our renewal and and uh, really test the market this year from the insurance piece, given our growth and given, you know, we have a lot of infrastructure, we have a lot of, a lot more wells and production than we have historically. So we're growing as a company, so we need more coverage and, and, a, and a bigger insurance piece to, 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 to take care of that. Um, so those are, those are those pieces. Yeah, no, and that, I think that's huge. It's something I can't, um, you know, underscore enough for listeners and for folks in this business is to really be paying attention to the insurance piece because we have seen yeah. a lot of folks come out of that. And I remember just being a kid and uh, when I when I and then going to London and I'm seeing Lloyd's of London and my dad telling me when I was little that Lloyd's of London was the only and this is back in the day and I'm I was I'm third generation oil and gas and Lloyd's of London was the only entity that would insure, you know, hot oil trucks to pick up this oil from these. Um, from these wells. And I mean, so this has always been a thing, but I think people have to really, really pay attention when you have these issue pressures and these regulatory pressures and access to capital, the insurance piece, just to do your day-to-day -day business. I can tell you as a service company with the name Petronerds, certain entities and contractors require, I have, I have insurance and it's hard to get it. Um, it's very hard to get depending on those, uh, whatever the, the requirements, it's actually hard to get because they, uh, you know, I have a company called Petronerds, um, which, you know, that's, I'm not in the field, you know, hacking away, you know, drilling wells, but it, they still don't want insurance. So it's a reality. Um, so that you, you cover that. And there's, there's two last things I want to close on. Um, and if we go over it, that's a little bit over that, that's, that's okay. Cause I think it's really important for listeners. Um, and you clearly are a wealth of knowledge, but, um, so I know you wanted to talk about where the state of the, you know, what's the good stuff about the powder and, you know, the things that service costs, you know, I think are really important to think about. You know, we, you and I have both talked about takeaway capacity. We have ample takeaway capacity. I talked about that with Tad True. I do want to comment before we, you know, close and talking about the Dakota Access Pipeline. I think that's an important thing to address. But what about service costs? And, you know, the one thing people always talk about in the powder, in the Rockies, is, you know, as we evolve through the business, sometimes when things get thin in the Rockies, we can't get the services we need. And, you know, it's not that I saw that when I was, was working for you guys, but it is a reality in terms of do you have the staying power of, like, you know, are the service companies there? Can you get a Liberty Frack fleet or Halliburton Frack fleet or, you know, at the time it was Schlumberger, but now that's Liberty. Could you get a frack fleet on demand? Could you get, uh, and yeah, maybe a frack fleet, but what about all the other services you need? Um, and there's a, as, as plays are evolving and they're doing stuff, that's one thing, but also as 
everything goes to the Permian and then you have, you know, the Bakken is a seasonal play now. And so you've got kind of the powder that's not seasonal. You got the DJ that's just crushed by the regulatory. So it's on and off all the time and, and, you know, Chevron vice PDC, and then it gets thin. So I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about like, you know, water has always been a cost issue in the powder, you know, service costs and, and components to that of, you know, how you guys have sort of seen through it, where it's at um, and what it looks like. And maybe we can close on, you know, the takeaway and the Dakota access question. Sure. So I would say, uh, back up a little bit again, you know, we talked about the company's history in the powder. Um, early days when we were drilling six wells or eight wells, maybe had a half a rig or, you know, one rig, uh, getting services were, were not super easy. Now it was a little busier in the powder then. And I think that goes for most of the United States, if you look at the rig count. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, if you have a continuous program, if you can say, yeah, I have my capital budgets approved. I'm going to drill this many wells. I want to, I want you to come up here and do this work for us. We've had great success um, in, in, you know, having operators fulfill our needs. And we've been able to high grade and find better, better performers, better companies, better services, companies that are bringing new ideas to the basin um, because they're looking to expand outside the, I call it the, the, the Uber competitive Permian, right? I mean, there, if you go down there and you're a frack company, I guess, you know, how many other frack companies are in the Permian right now, right? You go to the powder and yeah, there's, um, you know, at least three or four that we use. Um, and there's some big names in there. I won't name names. Um, but, you know, we've been, we've been getting some very good uh, performance. And, and this goes back to, it's not just us on this continuous operations piece, but all the service companies, if, if the, if the industry can kind of keep going at a more, and we call it level loaded pace, um, the, the people working on the, on the spreads, people working on the rigs, people driving the trucks, uh, are, are much better, right. Than, than, you know, a bunch of green hats and people that are new and you're transferring people around and we're not going right. way up and way down activity level. So if we can stay at a right pace for the industry and as operators, that's, that's beneficial. The water piece and and, and all the other components, uh, water. There are some um, very um, high cost uh, agreements out there in the powder. Uh, some of the again, you know, the powder's not new to oil and gas. It's gone through. This is the third phase of development of the powder, right? And so some of the landowners, some of the people that own the minerals, are very wise. They're they're not. They've been through this before. Um, and so the contracts are, are very, very expensive and very hard uh, on operators. Um, we've, we've tried to be creative. There's ways you can do things um, uh, that, that, you know, work. Uh, the other thing is that in Wyoming, compared to, say, the Permian or, or even, you know, Louisiana, it's a split estate. So the surface owners don't own the minerals. So if you think about it, when we were operating the Eagleford, you know, they own this, the owner, the mineral owners own the surface as well. So they were, they, they would look at it and say, okay, if I can get oil out of the ground or gas out of the ground, I'm going to make more money. I can take a little bit of a hit or less money for my water or my surface use. Right. Uh, where in the powder, the people with the ranches and the, and the surface owners, they don't get anything from the, from the subsurface. Right. And so they, they want to make their money on there. So you have to think about where they stand when you negotiate your deals. Um, you know, and, and you got to get ahead of it. Everything in the powder, I'll say this right now, is you have to, you have to be looking out years ahead. You can't, and it almost goes to the patience piece. Um, you can't come in, 
you know, buy some acreage, say, I'm going to go get a rig, I'm going to drill tomorrow, and then I'm going to be producing three days later, or, you know, I'm being kind of, you know, half serious here, but, but it's not going to happen. I mean, we're, you get permits from the feds, you get surface use, you got, you do have some winter issues. It's not North Dakota by any measure, but you still have some winter issues. It is Wyoming, yep. Yeah, right. It is Wyoming. Um, and it, the wind blows a lot too. <laughs> it does. Uh, and so, so all those, you have to take all those things in consideration, but that doesn't mean it's not, it's not a good place to be. Um, I mean, it is, and there's not, you know, we don't deal with, with town lots or, or, you know, right. too many houses and there, you know, it's really rural. People understand how to work hard, uh, what oil and gas or coal or whatever it is, you know, what energy means to, to, to the United States um and the security i mean we're we're i have a photo and i, sh I should put it up sometime maybe we should put it on our website you can see our drilling rig you can see some of the some of the uh, uh turbines from you know electrical power that uh um, they have out there and then if you kind of look off in the distance you can see a rail car whole hauling coal out of the basin i mean there's like three different types of energy right all within like a stone's throw of each other um and so it's a it's a it's a good place to work overall and and you know good people to work with up there and everything else yeah no that's great clarity and i think um you know that and tad mentioned this too and this something and if you know wyoming i mean it is a great it's 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 a it's a great place because people do know oil and gas and the powder river basin just for for context for people i mean it has it's home to the the some of the largest surface coal mines in the entire world um, in Wyoming. So Wyoming is not new to this. And I mean, my grandfather and my dad chased every oil boom in the Rockies and a lot of those were in Wyoming um, and coal bed methane and Gillette. So, I mean, you know, where you have, you know, we have resources, you have resources and Wyoming has, it obviously has the resource that has the coal and the gas and the oil. Um, that sophistication of the landowners, I think is always very interesting because that water piece of it's, it's water hauling. It's also that, you know, some of these wells produce a lot of water and, and I mean, there's just, you, you have to get those, those pieces, but I think uh, it sounds like you guys have, have, you know, a lot of folks have gotten the disposal cost for water buttoned up to a level that is better than it was several years ago. Can I, let me, let me build on this a little bit. Again, it goes back to if you're only drilling a couple of wells or a small right. number, you haven't, you don't have the capital maybe to make the investment, the infrastructure piece. You haven't thought through it maybe holistically and, and over time, um, and you're having to haul water and dispose of it in some of the some of the you know bigger uh, disposal sites. It's gonna it's gonna cost you. It's not cheap, right? Um, but again, if you look at it and say, okay, how do I best how do I best buy money? To get my best return, well, I should put some money in infrastructure. I should buy some land or do a deal where I can drill disposal. I can store water. Again, where we're using a very, very high percentage of our produced water. Well, that's a double savings, right? You're not having to haul it or pump it into the ground. You're actually using it to frack your wells. So it's it becomes a it becomes a, a positive rather than a negative. Um, but it takes time. It takes time to put all that together. It takes money. It takes patience. It takes a lot of a lot of hard work to get there, and it, our team has has done that. So I think we're in a good spot. I think you know you were talking about you know Harold and some of that stuff. You know, looking over the fence because Continental is just just west of us. Um, you know what what they're doing. They're doing a lot of things that we did early on. We did some appraisals. We we didn't do as much appraisal as a lot of companies. We kind of again take that technical risk, and we went into early development mode without a lot of well control. Um, and it, it worked for us. I think other companies want to get more. Now, keep in mind, Continental, Oxy, Devon, EUG, we'll pick on those. They have, you know this, everyone knows this, they have assets all around. 
right? And and maybe their assets in these other basins are in full development mode. They have infrastructure, their margins are higher in the powder. They haven't made that investment. They're not as far as along. And so where would you go? Well, you're going to limit how much capital you have up here until you're ready or you start to run out of location somewhere else and then you'll move your capital right. to and the you're powder. Public, so you got to fight for those, the, each base has to fight for those dollars. Correct. Everything has to be perfect or, right. you know, you're the highest maximum point. So um, where we could we could start, because this was our, our, key, our key Rockies position. You know, we have some other stuff that's less mature right now. And I'll tell you, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not putting very much capital into some of our other projects in other states because most of our our, our resources are going into the Powder River Basin today. But I think you'll see us over the next three, four, five, six years, you know, growing in other areas as well. And we'll have a multi-basin, you know, larger multi-basin uh, oil and gas company as, as we continue to grow. Yeah, uh, no, that's great. So, you know, I know we're over time, but there's two questions I need to ask. Um, um, and that's that, uh, so I do want to ask about, um, so we know that the, the basin has takeaway capacity, right, from from an oil standpoint. Um, and that's because we have, you know, from through the Rockies, uh, from Wyoming, from North Dakota to through Wyoming, and then to Cushing and down, um, the takeaway capacity for oil and and for gas, I, although I mean it's a little bit trickier, but we have less a little bit less gas in some some areas as you mentioned. Uh, but we have enough takeaway capacity right now for oil and gas, ample capacity on the oil side. Um, but there is, uh, and this is kind of twofold and two separate questions. But Wyoming, and I love Wyoming, born there. Um, you know, we're both recording from Denver right now, but I'm a total Wyomingite, um, and and really do need to get back closer to home. However, that being said, Wyoming has a lot of Bureau of Land Management land, has a lot of federal land. And, you know, when I was at this conference last week with the Denver Association of Petroleum Landmen, there was a BLM panel and it, it talked heavily about, you know, there was a guy from the BLM there and they talked heavily about, you know, Wyoming. This was very Wyoming focused and everybody, all these landmen were focused on this. And it was very uh, disheartening to, to, to hear most of the panelists try to qualify how great the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which is not an inflation reduction, but how great this IRA Act was. And, and they talked a lot about the impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act on BLM land, particularly in Wyoming. And one was the increased royalties that it, you know, to bring up federal land, uh, just immediately increased royalties. But then a lot of complexities in terms of, you know, in terms of actual greenhouse gas emissions and permitting and everything. Um, and we already know from the beginning of this administration, you know, banning permits on federal lands for two months. And then, um, you know, that went away and they did it with tribal lands and that was illegal, but then, you know, canceling Keystone Excel and then the lease sale pausing. And I asked this panel, you know, is the, is the administration legally compliant within their lease sales? And I did not get a clear answer. We know that they, they are not. Um, but I'm curious as to how you guys think about that. I mean, permitting is one thing, but the state of play in Wyoming from just the, the BLM side and the federal land side, um, it, it is a weight that, that Wyoming has despite how pro oil and gas um, and, you know, being the cowboy state that it is. No, that's 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 the way I would phrase it is that's the biggest overhang on Wyoming or actually the Western United States. I mean, I have one uh, during when when Biden first got into office, you, you pull a map that shows federal lands across the United States. It's massive. I mean, Nevada, I think, is the worst, but, you know, we're not drilling oil and gas wells in Nevada, but Wyoming's like number two or three. I think Utah is fairly high as well. But the government, the federal government controls uh, a massive portion of, of, of all those states, and it and it has a massive impact on them, right? I mean, bond the bonding rate they're proposing is going to go up. The over the uh, royalty rate is going to go up some. Uh, you know, you now have to pay 
for any tract you want to nominate to actually potentially come out in the lease sale, you have to pay a nomination fee. Um, you know, they've changed the rental cost. Uh, all of it's not, you know, uh, uh, massively material to the economics, um, but it does cost more. It does spread out the time. Again, I go back to the patience piece. Uh, maybe that's our, our key word from this, from this yep. podcast is patience, uh, is with the federal government. You have to have a lot of patience. Uh, they've been really slow having lease sales. They've had a few this year, the environmentalists sue, you know, everything, right? I mean, you, you, at some point they're going to sue us for driving the car, you know, to go to the grocery store and they'll probably sue us. But, but, um, you know, um, it just takes time and you have to have optionality built into your program because if something gets hung up here because the BLM won't approve a pipeline, uh, then you need to be able to go to go there. Uh, we're fortunate again, we built a very large position. We have about 450,000 net acres in the powder. We have four different development areas and appraisal areas. So you got to have you got to have that built. Again, if you don't have the size or the capital or, or ability to build build something bigger, I think you're going to be really challenged in, in, in the Rockies, uh, given, given you know, the overhang of the federal government. Um, great point and good clarification. And uh, I know we're way over time, but the last question, and we'll close, is are you hearing folks talk about Dakota access? Um, and I'm, I'm increasingly talking about this more with, with, with guests and, and in business, but the Dakota access pipeline um, now is open for the environmental impact statement is op open for review. And, you know, Tad had a pretty clear answer of, hey, I just don't think the federal, you know, the, the Biden administration is not going to want to, you know, shut down this pipeline even for a short time period because that would impact 600 to 700,000 barrels they accrued that could get shut in overnight, gas prices go through the roof. But, you know, I don't have a lot of trust in this administration on oil and gas, even understanding it. So, you know, I do question a little bit. And I'm just curious, are you guys thinking about like the environmental impact statement of the EIS is open for review of an existing pipeline flow and crude and Dakota access was already fraught with, you know, all kinds of issues before it got up and running. Now it's up and running. It's flowing, you know, half a million, you know, over half a million barrels a day crude going through Illinois and down to the Gulf Coast, bypassing Cushing. You know, are, are you guys thinking about that? Uh, and is that um, are you hearing folks talk about that or is this just something we'll wait? when it happens? No, we, we follow it high level. Um, I'm not in the weeds on it, but we do follow it. And I'll tell you why. Um, for for periods, um, you know, when when crude out of, crude export out of the Balkan becomes um, blocked or challenged, uh, some of it comes then comes ends up coming down and Tad may know this better. Tad probably knows this better than I do. Comes down through right. uh, Wyoming and then cuts over through Colorado over to Cushing. Right. Uh, that does impact uh, in the powder it does impact our our nets um you know to the wellhead because uh, those those start to to get to get much wider uh than they have been generally we're you know either two dollars positive to two dollars negative uh in the powder we're really close to wti right. uh, but when crude from the balkan comes down at one point we were ten dollars negative yep. uh similar you know things you could see in in the in the, in the in the Permian, right? If things get backed up and everything else, it's one of those things that we're aware of. Um, we're, um, you know, somewhat limited in what we can do to be, to be honest. I mean, you know, I mean, if it, if it gets shut down or something were to blow up or, or whatever else happened, um, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna suffer for a while until things get, get back to normal. 
Yeah. Well, that's, that's great clarity. And I think the answer to that, and you and I have talked about this a lot is, uh, education is pretty critical and getting people to understand these issues. So, um, you know, forums like this, people talking, I think is a, is a big deal. Cause I think a lot of people just aren't aware of that, but, um, yep. it's been an absolute pleasure, Joe, having you on the podcast. Really, really appreciate your time. Thank you guys for, for listening. Um, but thank you so much. And, and we'll definitely have you back. Yeah, no, thank you. Enjoyed it. There's probably like another hour we could talk about, but it was very good to cover all these subjects. Hopefully it helps helps you and everyone else. I appreciate it again. You invite me to be on and always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Bye guys. Okay, thank you. Yep. Have a good day.